We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. They're going to kill the love of my life. Daisy! If I don't go back to what I was doing. This Friday. Our line of work is quite brutal and quite ruthless. How far would you go for love? You steal truck, bring it to me. Then you make your money. Is it dangerous? Of course it's dangerous! Nicholas Holt, Felicity Jones, with Ben Kingsley and Anthony Hopkins. All this trouble, all this pain for love. Collide in theaters Friday. Rated PG-13. Maybe inappropriate for children under 13. Welcome to the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast. Derek Van Riper here with Tim Heaney. It's the Friday episode for week 14 of the fantasy football season, the first week of the playoffs in many leagues. Otherwise, the last push for usually a two-week playoff in leagues where week 14 is still part of the regular season. Uh, We're going to go through some key injuries. We'll talk about the Thursday night game. And of course, we will uh, take a look at some players that we like on DraftKings for this weekend as well. Uh, Weather, a big factor around the country too. So we'll take a look at the weather report and get a feel for whether anything actionable is out there, at least as of early Friday afternoon. Tim, as we get started, how's it going today? 
Ah, it's going well, man. Uh, just, you know, preparing for another holiday party tonight. So tis the season. It's uh, pretty nice to get away from football a little bit, a little bit sometimes. Yes, uh, I, I like I like getting some of the early baseball prep in this time of year, too, even though I'm excited about fantasy football. I've got three teams in the playoffs out of the five mm-hmm. that required in-season maintenance. So I'm uh, <laughs> hoping that the Spencer Ware situation from last night, it's basically that Sharkhandrick West vultured a TD from Spencer Ware doesn't knock me out of the Rotowire Online Championship playoffs because that mm. that was disappointing. I mean, Spencer Ware got work. He got 20 carries, but he didn't do much with it. Below three yards per carry, and then we see Sharkhandrick West enter after Spencer Ware gets the carry inside the five on first down. West comes in, plunges into the end zone, takes six points away from Spencer Ware owners in the process. Yeah, um, no, it's not a non-traditional goal line back type of situation, just a I was spent, exhausted probably type of situation or a formation type of situation. Yeah, that's a, you know, that's a, that's a big knock to, to Ware's owners. Obviously, Ware being a bell cow for, for most of his time this year. Uh, you know, that Thursday night game was, has some very interesting, uh, interesting happenings, I guess. Yes, definitely. Now, as you look through this game, I mean, I thought it would be even closer than it was, but I did like the Chiefs to win it, if only because Arrowhead in December is just nasty. It's just a really difficult place to play. The Chiefs uh, have a quality defense. They did lose uh, Derek Johnson last night. Pretty big deal uh, for that defense, I think, going forward. I think it's a ruptured Achilles, too, so it's a significant injury, and he's had that injury before. Uh, So hopefully... We'll see him back at some point in 2017. Uh, but the, the Chiefs really kept Derek Carr in that passing game in check. Latavius Murray kind of got his. He seems to be healthy after um, sharing more carries earlier in the season. I don't know if that was a design sort of thing where Jack DeRio wanted him to be fresh for this time of year or if maybe it was just kind of a coincidence where he was dinged up and they backed off him. But now he looks pretty good. As far as the passing game goes, maybe the big story of the night is this long TD that should have been scored. Derek Carr had Amari Cooper deep in the Chiefs secondary, behind the Chiefs secondary, and the ball may or may not have hit a spider camera above the field. I, I, the first explanation was, wow, how did he not catch that ball? Like it, 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 He must have lost it in the lights. And as of this morning, I, I saw this, this slow-mo video, and if you, if you watch the slow-mo video replay of that play, the way the ball is coming down, when it lands, it doesn't look like a normal thrown ball. It looks like yeah. something definitely impacted the flight on the way. Yeah, I was a natural angle and landing. I was just looking at that before, and yeah, I, I, you know, gotta love to have those extra cameras for the technology and get that extra zoom access or whatever they call it. And now it actually might have cost the Raiders a chance to actually tie the game at that point. So, <laughs> dang cameras just wrecking everything all the time. So that that turned out to be kind of a, a big deal, both both for. Cooper owners, car owners, and then, of course, for the Raiders uh, who fall on the road uh, in this matchup. Uh, and anything else kind of jump off the page? I mean, Jeremy Macklin didn't really do much in his return. Uh, three targets, one catch, and he was like 15, 16 yards. It wasn't, wasn't really much of a performance at all from him. Uh, you look at Travis Kelsey, he played pretty well. Tyreek Hill scored twice, one punt return. One uh, passing TD, one reception, I should say, one receiving touchdown. I mean, with Tyreek Hill, I I know that we have to change our expectations for Jeremy Macklin just slightly because they have that secondary weapon at the wide receiver position they didn't previously have. It was was basically the Macklin and Kelsey show before, and now I think Tyreek Hill's role is here to stay. 
Yeah, and I think it, it helps Alex Smith, maybe not so much in the fantasy sense for his individual value, but, you know, the fact that this Chiefs team can actually challenge downfield a lot more now. You notice they had a couple of, you know, successful downfield plays of at least 20, 30 yards last night, obviously including the, the touchdown to Hill, which is a beautiful, beautiful pass. Uh, you know, that kind of keeps defenses a bit more honest against the Chiefs. It's, they're not just, you know, kind of a game-managing dick-and-dunk type of team anymore. I mean, that's probably still where they work off of as a foundation, but obviously that, that spreads things out for Kelsey a bit more. And, you know, when Macklin maybe gets a little bit more health under him, maybe he'll he'll get a little bit more uh, targets here and there. But Tyreek Hill has been the big X factor in this offense this year. I mean, that's just a quickness they haven't had from a wide receiver position in a long time. You know, impact downfield type of threat there. So you got to like where this Chiefs offense is going. And like you said before, that Justin Hughes, uh, sorry, the, the uh, Derek Johnson injury is huge for that defense. And, you know, Justin Houston coming back last night was huge for the Chiefs. The, you know, the couple weeks ago was huge for them and their pass rush. So if not for the Johnson injury, I would have said the Chiefs might be a dark horse favorite in the AFC for as much as a 10 and three dark horse team could be. But, you know, it's a very good Chiefs team peaking at the right time again. Both teams now sitting at 10 and three and both teams, I think, in the eyes of many are still a tier below the Patriots. I think people might look at the Raiders and the Chiefs as equals to the Steelers in the AFC. But all three of those teams perhaps being a notch below New England. Do you do you buy that assessment? I think Kansas City is the most complete team out of those three just because that, that defense has a ton of playmakers. And like I said, getting Justin Houston back kind of transforms where this defense was early on in the year. If they could slot in someone for Derek Johnson effectively in the middle, I mean, the running rushing defense might you know be at a little bit of a loss there with him. But, you know, Marcus Peters, Eric Berry, they can make things happen and – I don't know that the Patriots have a good secondary as well, but I really don't see that in, in the Raiders and the Steelers just as much uh, in that sense. So I think the Chiefs are closer to the Patriots than the other two are. But yeah, I th- I'll agree that you know they're definitely a little bit, little bit under New England. But I got to see what New England does without Gronk a little bit more here. Yeah, I think with Malcolm Mitchell kind of stepping up on the outside, especially, and maybe Martellus Bennett getting healthy for the stretch run too, they could still have a, a pretty lethal offense mm-hmm. uh, even without Gronk. But it does take something away. No question about that. An element they really can't replace, not having Gronk on the field, presumably for the rest of the season, including the entirety of the playoffs. I know the the Super Bowl rumor or whatever was floating out there when he first suffered the injury. Who knows? We'll see in a few weeks if that's even uh, going to matter or not as far as whether or not the Patriots even make it to the Super Bowl. Uh, Let's talk about some of the key injuries for this week. I just saw something on Jordan Reed Uh, scrolling by. They're really not going to know until at least tomorrow. According to Mike Jones, who covers the Redskins for the Washington Post, uh, Reed was pushing himself more today in practice, uh, trying to test out the shoulder, really prepare himself to play this weekend. Still was favoring that arm. and It it was a grade three uh, separation of the AC joint, if I'm not mistaken, for Jordan Reed. Mm -hmm. So even though he could try to play through it, there, there are a range of motion of restrictions that are, are going to be in play for him where he might not be as effective, might not be able to lift his arm above his head very effectively, and there's also a lot of pain to be managed as well. So he's officially questionable. If he's active, do you trust him enough to use him over you know, a handful of different tight ends at least? Uh, I, I think you have to consider him as a starting option, you know, like a top 12 type of tight end there. Uh, obviously, Vernon Davis has been pretty effective in his in his uh, place. So, you know, you figure maybe have Reed on the field as a decoy more often and have Davis be the one lining up a wide receiver, kind of, you know, drawing out a little bit more, maybe getting a one-on-one matchup there. I think Davis might perform better than an active Reed at this point because that, that's a significant injury to come back from this soon for Reed. And like I said, I think more of a value to this team is his presence alone, maybe not necessarily him running routes when he's in there. So, I mean, do, do you start him over Ladarius Green? I don't think I would be able to just because of Green's upward momentum, kind of taking him into a new value tier. 
you know, a CJ Fedorowicz, Jason Witten type, I could maybe see more so just taking your chance with Reed instead instead of that. Uh, but you know, definitely, I, I think the abundance of tight ends this week is a little bit safe that I could say, all right, I don't have to start Jordan Reed if I have other options there. Yeah, I mean, with Reed, fortunately, it's an early kickoff. It's a part of the one Eastern block, so you know we'll know by eleven thirty Eastern Sunday if he's going to give it a go. We may even know as early as Saturday if he even travels with his teammates to Philadelphia. I mean, that could provide some insight as well. But I, I would agree with you. I think the Fedorowitz Witten range is probably about where uh, I would I would go to Reed if he's active. And I think if if you somehow you're loaded at tight end, you, you had Eifert and Reed or something like that, I would definitely play Eifert this week. Sure. You know, I, I think there's still going to be at least five tight ends ranked ahead of him for me even if he gets the, the all-clear to go, because I think we're going to see a very uh, limited version of Jordan Reed if he plays. Uh, Sammy Watkins, it seems like he's trending in the right direction. I mean, he had uh, nine targets last week in the loss to Oakland. Where's your trust level at with him? He's officially questionable after being limited in practice on Thursday and Friday. I kind of think where the value meter has him this week at number 35 among wide receivers, I think that's a pretty good spot for him. I've been saying, you know, since the injury occurred, if you need to plug him as a wide receiver three, that's kind of like maybe the ceiling of expectations to have for him and anything other than that. Other than that is gravy at this point. And, you know, it, obviously he, he's a guy who can make things happen on limited snap counts. And But, with you know, with his snap count, he almost doubled it from weeks 12 to week 13. So that's a really good sign. And his target volume tripled from three to nine. So, that, you know, that that's a, that's a sign where they're, you know, really looking to trust him at this point. And obviously Buffalo probably going to have to be playing from behind, it looks like, in Pittsburgh, unless they really control the ground game. So, yeah, wide receiver three is kind of, I stand by where I've, what I've kind of said about him before and, you know, just kind of the same thing here. Just don't don't say, oh, he's going to be a top, you know, 15 receiver now that he's getting more snaps. Just, you know, keep your floor manageable and just, you know, be happy that he does more than that. Yeah, I look at him as a wide receiver three the rest of the way so long as he's out there because it's still not a, a great passing game. I, I like Tyrod Taylor more than most. I, I wonder where he's even playing next year. I think that's become a question of sorts in recent weeks. And given the number of teams that need an upgrade at quarterback, Tyrod Taylor is going to be fine. He'll be starting for somebody next year, uh, even if it's not for the Bills. Uh, Trevor Simeon, he's banged up, and it matters more because people are trying to rely on the likes of Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders. It's a reasonably tough matchup against the Titans. Titans defense has looked pretty good uh, throughout this season. It's one of those games, I think these teams are pretty well matched. I think it's going to be kind of a a low-scoring, grinded-out kind of game between the Titans and Broncos this week. Do you believe that you can roll Demarius Thomas or Emmanuel Sanders out there if Paxton Lynch has to make this start? Not comfortably. I mean, you saw last week he was just kind of out of his element against the Jaguars of old teams who, you know, can have a pass rush at times, but obviously anything from but consistent on defense. Obviously, this offensive line for the Broncos, not the best one for an offense that this needs to run where, you know, they excel on quick routes, you know, yards after the catch, that sort of thing. You know, Lynch just looked, you know, lost, maybe maybe figured from one game to the next, he could show some improvement. But, but the Titans defensive line, I think will have him kind of running even a bit more for his life this week, if that's the case. If Simeon starts, I'm a lot more confident, you know, what low wide receiver two may be value for them because they've given up a lot of fantasy points to wide receivers of late this Titans defense. But, you know, Lynch, that that downfield potential without with Lynch in there, you know, trying to, you know, skate around, you know, like a like a clumsy guy at quarterback. I think I don't think it's good for the wide receivers output. So, you know, flex plays if you need them, if Lynch is starting, but I'm not that excited if that's the case. Yeah. He had a Bortles esque line going up against the Jags last week. And that really would 
uh, take away a lot of my interest in the two receivers if I had them going in season-long formats this week. Uh, Andrew Luck, Aaron Rodgers have shoulder and hamstring injuries, respectively. Both players are expected to be fine. Luck gets the Texans at home. Rodgers gets a Seattle defense without Earl Thomas at what should be a very snowy Lambeau field on Sunday based on the early reports. Uh, Lamar Miller continues to play hobbled and you know it's it's at the point where you're you're really stuck because you're not going to sit him down most people who have Lamar Miller on their team don't have enough quality depth options to sit him down because he's playing at 70 or 80 percent and even with his injury carried the ball 14 times last week against the Packers it was snowy field conditions were very slippery as you could see throughout that game Vince Wilfork took a pretty big header in that game (laughs) Uh, coming right off the line, just just flopped like a one step and down. It it was hard, hard to get traction. But Miller had 19 carries the week before against San Diego, only 57 yards. Should have been a pretty good matchup for him there. It's the Colts, which looks really nice on paper. I think it's more of a plan because of the volume, but kind of temper the expectations. Think of him more as a running back too, based on what's happened these last few weeks. Yeah, I think I'm with you there. And obviously, team's not really scared of Brock Osweiler. They load up against Miller, and that's obviously hurt him a little bit. Uh, yeah, I- I'm kind of with you in the same boat. Just you know, get that get that decent floor in there for for touches, not necessarily what comes from those touches. So at this point, you do kind of have to rely on roll in those mid mid range situations like that. And um, yeah, it- it's a case where you think it would be great against the Colts, but you know, we've seen them. S- be do okay on run defense against you know offensive lines that are a bit suspect like Houston's is that that right side is pretty weak so that that's a case where I think they could force Miller into you know really bad holes that don't exist there so yeah Miller running back to basically to me that's it all signs pointing to Lamar Miller playing this week mm-hmm. just in some kind of limited capacity snap count and carries went down last week against the Packers uh, Mark Ingram did not practice on Thursdays got uh, toe and knee injuries that have been slowing him down. He's got a good matchup against the Bucs. Uh, unfortunately, he's coming off a game where he carried the ball just seven times. He did catch five passes, but only 53 yards from scrimmage last week for Ingram. He's had some really kind of fast and f- feast and famine swings mm. in production this year. Do you trust him if he's active this week? Uh, I mean, it's a case where I think Tim Hightower could fill a lot of the space if they if they need him to again. You know, but obviously, you know, Ingram caught five passes last week, so that's that's at least something to make up for that in PPR of that disappointment. So, you know, built him up a little bit there. It kind of depends on game flow, I think. If they're if they somehow get ahead of Tampa Bay quickly, I don't think we'll see a lot of Ingram, but I think they actually might want to keep him in action more if it's a closer game because, you know, Hightower got most of his action against the Rams when it was, you know, kind of out of hand and all that stuff. So you know, it, it it really depends on how he practices today. I don't think I've seen anything yet come out on that because we are recording early uh, this this week. But you know, kind of thing where you want to watch throughout the weekend, see what happens. And um, yeah, Ingram's a flex guy to me. Uh, but uh, maybe that, that's you know a little bit more room to to grow from that if he looks okay heading into game time and stuff like that. I think it's going to be a pretty close game. They'll need to keep pace with each other. So I think Ingram, if he does play, would be an okay flex. Yeah, it might be the kind of thing where even if he's only getting 12 to 14 carries, his chances to find the end zone are a tick higher this week in what should be a very well-contested game between the Saints and Bucks. Uh, Theoretic has a wrist injury. He didn't practice Wednesday. He was limited Thursday. I would expect that he's out there in some capacity this week against the Bears. The question really becomes... How much will the Lions have him run the ball if they have either a healthy Dwayne Washington or Zach Zenner available? And if they're protecting a lead, are they going to be willing to expose Riddick to possible 
you know, further injury. Now, that's the huge question, obviously, you know, any, 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 anything removing strength from the hand or the wrists is not a good thing when you're trying to run the ball between the tackles, you know, that's, and obviously Riddick's game has always been as a receiver and he's kind of come on as a carrier, but yeah, bad timing for expecting a bigger workload from him. You, you do hope this is a case where they have to throw the ball a lot against the bears or they just kind of, maybe they don't find room and they have to swing it out to Riddick in the flat or something like that more often. You know, the bears, it seems like the, the latter one could be the case. Um, but yeah, definitely, you know, more of a running back too, still just because of what he can do when he has the ball in his hands. But like you said, it, it might not be a case where they give him to him a lot on the inside, like they had been in previous weeks. What are you going to do with Ryan Matthews coming back this week? Eagles haven't run it particularly well uh, without him. You know, Washington as run defenses go is actually pretty generous. 4.6 mm-hmm. yards per carry allowed, uh, bottom five in that regard, 17 rushing scores allowed by the Redskins run defense. <sighs> I mean, it looks like a great spot for Ryan Matthews this week, but I'm having a difficult time pushing myself to even throw him in, into a DFS lineup, let alone to choose him over someone else in season long. Yeah, it's a very volatile situation. I am very intrigued because of the types of backs that have really run over Washington this year. You look at the ones that have gotten really big games, you know, DeAndre Williams, Isaiah Crowell, uh, you know, Ryan Matthews even had, you know, 60 yards on nine carries against them in week six. Uh, then you have Jeremy Hill, 20 for 76, you know, not a great, of you know, per yardage, but definitely a little bit more than obviously Giovanni Bernard did there. Uh, you know, uh, Ezekiel Elliott ran over them, David Johnson. It's the bigger backs, or at least the interior backs that I think have done the best against Washington. And Matthews, obviously, you know, not not being the best, maybe not the best natural running back, but he definitely fits the physical bill to, to be the type that dominates Washington, maybe, you know, between the tackles a bit more. But obviously they've trusted Darren Sproles with a goal line touch last week, and they've had Wendell Smallwood. I got it right, see? Wendell. Uh, wanna, Wendell, yeah, caught myself there. Um, you know, they, they kind of rotate based on matchups, who's going where with that. So I, the matchup is awesome. But I still want to make him an RB two low end just just for the fact that they might not uh you know go to him in every every case there. So, but you know I would definitely be intrigued to play him if I was running low on options. Yeah. So here's where I'm at in the stake league this week. Fortunately, I've got a first round buy, so good on that. Total points yeah. still matter though for the stake bet. So you know that's that's up in the air for these next four weeks. Uh, my running back two spot got Jarek McKinnon going up against the Jags, and I've got Ryan Matthews going up. Against Washington, you look at the carry volume for McKinnon in the last three games, nine against the Cowboys, nine against the Lions, 16 against the Cardinals, only 44 yards that week, uh, five, three, and one for your reception counts during that span as well. So, you know, 12 to 14 touches seems to be the floor, the ceiling, maybe 18 to 20 at the absolute most for Jarek McKinnon, but the offensive line for Minnesota has been bad. Uh, I think the Jags' defense is actually useful. I mean, it's not terrible, but they are weaker against the run than the pass. Like, to me, McKinnon yep. versus Ryan Matthews, it feels like a coin flip. <sighs> I, th- I think McKinnon has a safer floor, to be honest with you, in touches, and not c- carries or anything like that. But obviously, less competition for Matt Asiata than obviously Matthews has with Sproles and, and, and Smallwood there. So, you know, on that sense alone, you play McKinnon just for the safety value. But, you know, like I said, Matthews, I think, has the higher upside. I'll say that. It's one of these things, too, where I look at Jarek McKinnon, and I know the offensive line play is a big problem. It was on full display on Thanksgiving in particular. That's probably the last game I watched really closely of the Vikings back in Week 12, just two weeks ago. He was getting hit in the backfield before he even had a chance to go find the hole, let alone try to get through the hole. He has that ability to rip off big plays, and it just he hasn't done it yet. But it seems 
inevitable that he's going to deliver a handful, two, maybe three carries of 20 or more yards between now and the end of the season. They get the Jags, the Colts, the Packers, and the Bears. Maybe it's more next week. Maybe it's week 15 against the Colts where he's going to come through, possibly week 17, so we're playing that out yeah. for total points. Th- those spots might be the ones where Jerick McKinnon flashes a little bit of value over these final four yeah, weeks. Maybe, but do, I, do we trust Pat Shermer as new offensive coordinator who was so predictable against the Cowboys and they still couldn't stop him because their secondary has been weak, but do we, do we expect him to maybe feature McKinnon a bit more in those types of roles? I'm not sure they're, they're going to do that just because you know the, he wants to keep Sam Bradford in his comfort zone. I'm not sure that includes screen passes, even though it should be to take advantage of McKinnon's you know, dynamic presence in space. Yeah, with, with Bradford's <laughs> Bradford's comfort zone is in a beanbag chair playing Madden. Like it's not <laughs> it's not throwing the ball downfield or doing anything that we want to see him doing on a, a regular basis. It's really really kind of unfortunate. I think I think my lean is McKinnon for this week, but I'm probably going to agonize over that a few more times between yeah. now and, and kickoff on Sunday. Uh, Julio Jones, probably the most important injured player that we're tracking for this week, and of course uh, I. I was not admitted to journalism school, so therefore I do not lead the way you're supposed to lead with content that is the best content or the most important content. Uh, the Falcons are going to make Julio a game-time decision. They want to see him try to run routes full speed on Sunday afternoon, and that's the problem. It's not an early kickoff. It's a road game against the Rams, late afternoon kickoff. I, I think he's I mean, legitimately a toss-up to play, and I think the Falcons might look at this game and say, hey, I think we have a chance to beat him, to beat the Rams even without him. The only thing that makes me think they would push him out there at less than 100% is that Mohamed Sanu has already been ruled out. So they're really thin at receiver if they go without Jones and Sanu this week. Maybe that vaults up Taylor Gabriel's stock quite a bit. But what's your move with Jones? I mean, the one thing I've been trying to make sure I, I tell people to do is to make sure he's in a flex spot if possible because then it opens up running backs, tight ends, other options to to shuffle in after the early game start if you have to decide to pull Julio down if we don't know until, you know, two thirty Eastern on Sunday afternoon. That's a move I would even do just in general every week for late games just because you know, surprise and actives or something like that. Um yeah, but absolutely that 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 is you know, prime practice number one in this case to open up your options of backup plans for Julio Jones if he can't play. I think you kinda have to Treat him as a flex in that case. Um, you know, we've seen him disappear in games when he's been healthy just because the game plan hasn't worked out. I could imagine them just having him out there just to keep defenses somewhat honest, you know, have him run like half a route here and there, uh, to, you know, to really kind of open things up. I mean, if, if you have him, if you pick up Taylor Gabriel, you know, I think that's a pretty safe option if you want to just flip flop those guys. Um, you hate to have Julio Jones on your bench go off, but I think this, that's not the safest play in this case. I think it's probably the 75 25 play is to. You know, hopefully you have better options than Jones this week. Yeah, cases where you don't, you're just hoping that he finds a way to make a couple big plays, find the end zone, just do something, get you 10, 12 points, the the bare minimum, and you can live with it. But not a good time for Julio Jones to be dinged up because he's one of those players that really kind of carried you uh, to where you are, of course, at this point in the season. Uh, A.J. Green officially ruled out, so... No need to worry about him for this week. Uh, Devontae Parker's got a back injury, Tim. That, 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 to me, could be a little problematic. And, you know, if Parker's cleared to play, I'm still not convinced that I necessarily want him in my lineup for Week 14. Yeah, I mean, the Cardinals secondary, obviously not one that you want to go against healthy most of the time. And, obviously, it's a defensive front that I think is going to give Ryan Tannehill, obviously, huge problems. So, you know, I don't see much happening for this Dolphins offense this week. Maybe J.H.I. gets his own. You know, Jarvis Landry gets a lot of catches for PPR purposes. But, yeah, I'm not... 
I'm not confident, uh, you know, Parker could do a lot. He only got his, obviously got his touchdown in garbage time last week. So I don't think Arizona, maybe he gets one this time, but I just, I don't think it's the physicality of the Arizona defense is going to allow him to do much, uh, you know, at less than a hundred percent. Saints uh, in practice right now, as we record this early Friday afternoon on the East coast. And uh, you take a look at Michael Thomas. He's been slowed this week by an injury. If he misses time, I think it really pushes up the stock of both Brandon Cooks and Willie Sneed. I think the matter is if Sneed has to deal with Thomas being out there, is he even a must play with this being a road matchup against Tampa Bay? Or is he more of a fringy wide receiver three if all three of those receivers are healthy? Yeah, fringy wide receiver three, I think. I think it's actually not a bad um, output for Fleener either because I believe Josh Hill is, is not playing this week or he's at least hobbled, right? So, I mean, that that's a kind of case where they trade off you know production a little bit. The Buccaneers, you know, a little bit the passing game. I think they've been a little bit bad to get tight ends that can be involved highly. So, yeah, I mean, but Snead, go back to the original question, I think that he's more of, you know, the guy that's kind of lost out most weeks besides, you know, when, when Cooks or Thomas has gone off. Snead's kind of been like the, the squeak by with 10 points PPR type of guy. Um, so yeah, fringy wide receiver three is pretty good for me on that one. Uh, some tight end related news to pass along. This is also lions related news. Eric Ebron slowed earlier in the week by a knee injury. Just keep an eye on him as we get closer to kickoff on Sunday. He should be fine. His teammate, Marvin Jones kind of closing the book now on uh, wide receivers. Uh, he of course missed last week's game. If he were to sit again, I think that would be kind of an interesting path for maybe another lions receiver to step up. Uh, but you look at what he was able to do. He was already limited on Wednesday, so all signs early in the week at least were pointing to Marvin Jones returning. Looks like he'll be out there. I'm not crazy about him this week, in, in part not because of the matchup, but because of the game flow. And I think the issue you have with the Lions is that they are a slow-tempo team, so they don't run that many plays. And if they're protecting a lead, they might just be grinding it out, running the ball a lot more than they typically do. I'm just not convinced that the Bears' offense will actually move the ball and put up points against the Lions defense yeah I mean and the Bears have not been beaten a lot by uh, wide receivers even good ones I think you know so um, it's a case where I think that the, the running game for the Lions would have would normally be the one I would favor in this one but you know how do you pick which running back at this case so yeah I mean Marvin Jones obviously you throw him out there maybe you hope he catches a long touchdown as he usually does but is he going to have the you know the ability to get that acceleration uh you know, this week with, with that with that quad injury. So, you know, definitely a flex play, if, if anything, in my mind here. It's a Golden Tate game for me. It's an Anquan Bolden game for me. So, yeah, uh, Jones, good guy to add if he's been dropped, I think. But this week you got to, you know, just keep, keep things in check a little bit. So let's talk about some of the, the weather concerns uh, around the league. Buffalo home this week, uh, cold temperatures, snow very likely. I mean, snow is almost a certainty in Buffalo in December. Uh, the only thing that I really worry about by default with snow is the kicking game. I think the mm-hmm. thing you really have to look out for is wind. I think wind is the main problem that you might run into, and you know that that's not a, a big concern in the Buffalo matchup, at least at this point. That could always change as as Sunday gets mm-hmm. closer. Uh, and it doesn't seem to be a big concern in Green Bay, which I think has like a ninety five percent chance of snow throughout the entire game uh, against mm-hmm. the Seahawks on Sunday afternoon. Well, yeah, I mean, you figure, you know, if it's just snow, they, they clear off the area. Maybe the ball's a bit heavier because it's colder. But, you know, it, it's definitely – I'm with you. Just the wind is the most important thing you have to worry about with that. I mean, kicking alone, if, if you – unless you have like a, you know, Justin Tucker or a Steven Gostkowski, if you're just kind of playing the matches with kickers, you know, you got to look to, you know, the Dome kickers, the San Diego kickers, you know, the, even the Tampa Bay kicker, unless it's, you know, downpouring over there or something. You know, you've kind of already had to make that shift in – 
you know, playing the schedule that way if you can. So, you know, I don't play in that many leagues with kickers anymore, actually. I think nice. they, they were cut, they've been cut in half last year. It's just super flex leagues, which, yeah, it's been wonderful. It's I, I'm like a part of me misses talking a little bit about kicking, but making the decision week to week, it's definitely not something that's worrying me. No, that's that's terrific that you got rid of kickers in like half your leagues. It's awesome. Uh, so other games with some weather concerns. It's all, it all seems very mild. The, the, there are no blizzards in the forecast from at least the the Sunday games. Uh, rain showers possible in Tennessee. Uh, maybe some rain in San Francisco, but nothing overwhelming. Maybe a passing rain shower in Los Angeles for the Rams Falcons game. It's L.A. Doesn't rain enough for it to be a problem. Uh, Philadelphia, cold temperatures, but maybe a little rain there. No extreme wind. The worst weather conditions, based on the report I'm looking at, and I'm looking at, at Kevin Roth from Roto Grinders, who's a must-follow uh, weather guy for all, all all year, really, for football and baseball mm-hmm. especially. Miami, rain showers and windy. National Weather Service has winds at 15 to 25 miles per hour with gusts around 30 that would be a problem for kickers but and for the passing games and, and maybe good conditions to use the Arizona and even maybe the Miami defense in this one. Yeah, and obviously that's another impact of weather that you know kind of comes into play. You, you do want to target the defense in these games a little bit more, uh, especially if they're offenses that you know, have been erratic as Miami and Arizona's too. So yeah, I agree with you there. Uh, the worst game overall weather-wise appears to be the Monday night game too. Like. The wintry mix in the forecast for New England, which is just lovely if you haven't experienced the wintry mix before. So I don't know if it's enough to not use Brady or anything like that. It doesn't seem like it would be. No, uh, but just I don't think so. shave down the expectations just slightly across the board for the offensive output uh, in that game. This is going to be a good test for the Ravens. I'm kind of looking forward to that Monday night game because the Ravens are so much better at home than they are on the road. And if they want to prove themselves as a team that belongs in the playoffs, this is a good way to go in. Even if they just lose by a field goal, play a really good, close game, I think that would go a long way to prove that, hey, this is a team that has a quality defense that could be dangerous in January. Yeah, and obviously Joe Flacco's pretty battle-tested for whatever argument we want to get into that he's elite. He's definitely, you know, has experience playing, you know, games in January and, and all that. So, you know, definitely a, a good sign for that. And obviously I think he's got obviously got a better offense than he has, I think, in recent years. Whatever you want to say about the backfield, obviously having Mike Wallace and Steve Smith and, you know, a healthy Zenith Pitta finally in the same boat, that's, you know, that's pretty optimistic for the Ravens as well. Maybe they're one of those teams that could sneak into that group we were talking about before in the AFC. Uh, but, yeah, I mean – and but you know you see, Baltimore obviously struggles a bit more on the road than they do at home. I, I they they played in weather like this enough, I think, to be at least somewhat adjusted to it. I would think. So let's uh, let's start talking about some players we like on DraftKings for this week, and we'll take a look at quarterbacks first, as we always do. Uh, Cam Newton quite a bit more expensive than he is on FanDuel by comparison. He's the second most expensive quarterback on DraftKings. I think he was just outside the top 10 on FanDuel when I was looking earlier this morning. So <laughs> if you want to play Cam, play on FanDuel. If you want, want to play someone else, then maybe play on DraftKings. But Breeze is the most expensive option, 7400 coming off a disappointing game uh, last week against the Lions on the road against the Bucks. It's a good setup. I just don't know if he's necessarily the quarterback I want to lean on. I feel like the quarterback that I, I like the most from a cost standpoint is Russell Wilson again, 6,600 on the road, taking on a Green Bay secondary that has just been a sieve more often than not this season. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, keep picking on the Packers' pass defense in, in normal weather conditions. That, that's a pretty good idea. And I think, obviously, you know, Wilson has played in, you know, abject weather situations before, obviously, in college and Seattle with, you know, some of those uh, Northwestern conditions that he's had before. Yeah, I mean, a Seattle stack is probably going to be one of the more popular arrangements this week, and I can't really disagree with that. I mean, you know, maybe go with Jameis Winston, uh, you know, as we as – we, Definitely one, one of what either one of us like seems to have Winston every other week or maybe every week in this on this podcast because just you know there's just that big game potential and obviously it's a good defense to do it against at home so yeah I mean Winston and Wilson are probably going to be very popular yeah Winston at 67 uh, Philip Rivers at 6600 and then Wilson at 6600 both or all three are going to be uh, heavily owned I would expect but for good reason uh, the other probably chalky play is Andy Dalton going up against the Browns. He's 6,100. I like the idea of doing that. I, I mean, I, I think that, that could pay off, but the, the real concern is that the Bengals open up a lead and it turns into the Jeremy Hill show. Oh, yeah. No, Hill's definitely the, the priority, I think, in DFS for year, but obviously that's going to be like a 70% ownership, I think. So, you know, something ridiculously high like that. What do you think about Eli home against the Cowboys? We talk about Ben Roethlisberger's home road splits all the time. We'll talk about Ben Roethlisberger in a moment, but 5,500 in a, a Pretty important game for the Giants. For Eli at home, is not a bad price. No, um, obviously Eli would be more comfortable at the Giants Stadium. I, I'm checking if Morris Claiborne is actually playing for the Cowboys at this point. Uh, it, it, at least like, I don't think he's going to. He already, he's already listed out, so that that gives me a little more confidence um, in in, uh, in in Manning to do that. Obviously, you know. Downfield for the Cowboys has been a problem since Claiborne's been out. So any, any passing offense going against the Cowboys is actually not a bad one to play. So, yeah, Eli Manning is probably one that might be overlooked a little bit. So circling back towards the top of the price list for a minute, Ben Roethlisberger, 7,000 road matchup against Buffalo. Buffalo's pass defense doesn't look that bad. Do you play Roethlisberger or do you fade him? I think I fade him. Um, it's a case where I think maybe it's a Le'Veon Bell more type of show as well. I mean, the Buffalo Bills pass rush, I mean, doesn't always look great, but it's statistically actually one of the better ones according to like football outsiders. They have some good DVO A rankings, I believe, there. So, yeah, I think Roethlisberger, it's going to be a case where I think it's going to be a popular choice, and that's one I'll, I'll probably pass on in most cases. The other kind of contrarian on the surface looking play is Aaron Rodgers with the matchup against Seattle and the big difference with the Seattle defense. No Earl Thomas. I mean, how much does that change your perception of Seattle's defense as a whole and uh, do you throw Rodgers out there as a discounted quarterback this week he's 10th in terms of quarterback pricing yeah I mean that's a big circle I have the Rodgers the, the pricing alone is just makes him worth worth going for I think I mean Steven Terrell's probably going to be the starter if, if I'm not mistaken uh you know still a decent player not an Earl Thomas type of player but you know do, do you figure they, they pick up the slack otherwise there um yeah, I, I still think that's a good return on investment, though, to play Rodgers in most cases there. I mean, de- I think he's definitely probably the most, uh, you know, the best high-end guy to go against the grain on, I think. Is there anybody else on your radar at the quarterback position this week? Uh, I mean, now that you said the weather in Miami, my Carson Palmer, um, you know, excitement's taking a little bit of a dip. Maybe you go with Colin Kaepernick going against the cross-country traveling Jets. That's an interesting one. Um, you know, do you go with the Brock Osweiler really against the grain situation there? Uh, I'm, I'm not really inclined to, but it's $5,300. So, you know, got to look at stuff like that occasionally, I guess. Brock is averaging 13.4 <laughs> fantasy points per game on DraftKings. I mean, that's just unbelievably low. Um, just to give you some perspective, I mean, Theo Riddick averages 16.2. Like, that's, that's, that's where things are at right now with Brock Osweiler. Uh, let's take a look at running back. David Johnson's expensive everywhere. You're not, you're not getting a discount 
DraftKings versus FanDuel. Uh, if you're playing Johnson on one side versus the other, he's the most expensive back on both by a decent margin. 9800 is the price. We were talking about the weather in Miami. If the weather's windy and rainy, I mean, that does favor the running game. And David Johnson seems to be matchup proof. But the question is, can you build a lineup that you really like forking over 9800 for him? If he was like at 9-1, and the weather forecasts would help him like that. I would probably do that. I mean, the yeah, that that's pricey. In cash game, I could see doing it. GPP, I don't think it'd be worth it. Yeah, I think the reason it's not worth it, you go further down. I mean, Le'Veon Bell at nine thousand. That's a nice eight hundred dollar price break. Uh, Ezekiel Elliott's eighty four hundred, so fourteen hundred less than David Johnson. Shady McCoy's eighty two hundred. I think Shady might be a tick lower owned this week than most, and I'm not really sure if that is the way it's supposed to break down. I no. feel like he, he should be owned the same way he would normally be owned because the Bills are going to keep that game close. I think it's going to be a high-scoring game. Most of what they do offensively still goes through him. I know Sammy Watkins being back certainly helps, but I just think this is a week where you get slightly lower ownership rates on LaShawn McCoy. How about yeah. Melvin Gordon, uh, 7,400? Yeah, I just want to chime in on McCoy. I think people might still be burned by the Mike Gillisley vultures and not go back to him. I think that's a great opportunity. He's one of my favorite of those, of those top four running backs, I think, for sure. But you said Gordon against Carolina. Um, I, I, I mean, enough receptions, I think, there to justify using him. You know, as a top back, seventy four hundred, I think, is enough of a discount that you know he. I don't want to say he's matchup proof, but he's definitely workload stable. So that, that's a good reason to pay for him. I think that you know twenty four hundred dollars cheaper than David Johnson. That that's a you know that that's a nice comparison there. Demarco Murray down at seven thousand home matchup against Denver. If they're going to do anything against Denver, it seems like it would be on the ground. It's a contrarian play. He's priced mm-hmm. low enough where I think you'd consider it. But I have not built a lineup with Demarco Murray in it yet. I think I'd rather have Murray than Gordon, just because I think Murray will be forced to to catch a lot more passes. I think Mariota's going to have to keep the pocket moving and do, you know, obviously Murray's a guy who does catch a lot of screens out the backfield. He's had that extra week to kind of rest that that injury, so I think that's a good kind of opportunity to get him while he's fresh. I think as a, at a little bit of a discounted price there, so I could see Murray more so than Gordon. Got a couple more player fades for you at uh, running back Matt Forte going <laughs> up against that that Niners run defense. Sixty eight hundred is the price. Play him or fade him. Fade. It's too high of a, of a floor they're setting for me. He's a little dinged up, too. He's got the knee and ankle. I mean, it's not even on the injury report right now, but it's just a lingering problem for Forte, and maybe San Francisco's run defense is starting, uh, starting to fix itself here in recent weeks. Uh, player fade, Devontae Freeman, all the way down at 6,100. The fade here would be because we would expect a lot of ownership on Devontae Freeman. Yeah, that's the only thing. It's, it's a sad thing because I think it's a great opportunity to use him. Um Play you in know, cash, fade in tournaments. I, I I think you might have to there. Um, you know, if you figure obviously you know Julio Jones, they would have Freeman, you know, gobbling up you know usage and yardage. That's a very low price they set for him. I mean, the Rams have a good defensive line, but their run defense hasn't been that stable this year. I, they've actually been somewhat weak against good running teams, and obviously the Falcons, one of the best running teams in the league. So maybe it's a week ago with Tevin Coleman instead in the GPP to try to you know maybe get some of that because the you know the pass coverage of the Rams linebackers is pretty bad. Whatever Demarco Murray's price that with a matchup against Denver, Devonta Freeman should cost at least that much. And mm-hmm. he's probably a thousand bucks below uh, where he should be. So, I mean, I, I like him. I, I, I don't, I don't want to fade him, but I think in, in big field GPPs, you might have to just to avoid having an, a very chalky sort of play. Uh, I, don't, I don't really like Jay Ajayi a lot against Arizona because their run defense mm-hmm. has been good. Uh, player fade Jeremy Hill at 5,800 going up against the Browns. <sighs> I, I, 
I want to say fade, but I, I, that's just too juicy for me. Yeah. Uh, I got to play him. I think I will have a share. I don't know if I'm going to have him in all my lineups. 5,800 is a, is a nice bargain, but I mean, they could just go to Rex Burkhead or something if they're up big. It's, he was not very, Jeremy Hill was not efficient last week against the Eagles. He was over 20 carries, but under 40 yards, if I'm not mistaken. I, I, I think so. Something around there. Bad. Real, the, but, real bad. But the Eagles are actually, you know, that, that run defense can, can stand up some weeks because that wide nine could just cause some bad matchups. I, I understand why Hill kind of let things down last week. So how about Todd Gurley at 5,000? I mean, if, if the Falcons don't have Julio Jones, or if we even think he's going to be limited, that game probably is a little bit closer than people expect. If it's closer, Gurley gets more touches. And 5,000, that's got GPP upside written all over it. Oh, absolutely. I circled him three or four times virtually on my on my Word document that had Gurley in there. Absolutely. Um, that, that's a game where, you know, Goff will want to, you know, just kind of, you know, keep it, keep it in possession to the Rams side and Gurley is obviously a guy to do that. We talked about how great his playoff schedule was for season long and why you should trade for him. This is the first week of that. So yeah, I think it pays off big. How do you feel about Frank Gore at 4,800 home against Houston this week? Uh, I, I think it's going to be more of a, of a passing attack against Houston. I mean, you know, Gore obviously has some of those weeks where he kind of breaks it out. Maybe he is good for a flex play. If you kind of maneuver it right, I'm not getting excited to say, Oh, I'm definitely playing Frank Gore. The other two players who I think are kind of interesting for, Totally different reasons. The first is Carlos Hyde. I mean, 4,900, I think he's going to get his. The Jets aren't going to blow out the Niners. Plenty of volume there, so I like Carlos Hyde a lot. Yep. But Devontae Booker, who I, I was on last week, he scored, but he didn't do a lot with the touches. They bring in Justin Forsett. Forsett, of course, had a lot of success in Gary Kubiak's offense two years ago mm-hmm. in Baltimore. I mean, I would assume that the ownership rate on Devontae Booker, when you factor in the Forsett situation, his recent form, the matchup against Tennessee, nothing looks good for him. But 4,800, if you're looking for a contrarian GPP back, I think there's still some appeal. To, I, I, maybe he's hurt. Maybe that's the problem. But I just feel like he's a really talented player who's been getting a nice volume of carries week in and week out. Yeah, I mean, I don't think I'm as excited as you are about it, but it's definitely a case where you do want to kind of, kind of, kind of you know, the, the zig while everyone zags or whichever one they say today. I have no idea. But, <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, for the price point, it is pretty good. Um, but, you know, but then you look at a Jarek McKinnon at 3,600. You know, we talked about before, you know, that there's a lot of positives to that one. Or maybe it's a week where the Giants finally favor Paul Perkins against the Cowboys, you know, against, you know, get, get the guy with the passing attack that's a little better than Rashad Jennings open in more space there because that's their the weakness. Or is it like a TJ Eldon week at 3,800, you know, just maybe he'll, just because he'll have most of the, t- the carries to himself there. I mean, I think there are better lower end players than Booker. That, that, that makes you not want to commit to that right away. I think that's fair. Sorry, I was just getting a drink of water. So, so <laughs> yeah. I, was, I, was hoping, I was hoping to chug that water before you finished your thought, and I, I failed, so I apologize to everybody. Hey, you've, had a lo- you've had a long day, man. You, you talk a lot every day, so it's it, fine. Today, today is crazy. I, I think I got two more <laughs> baseball podcasts coming up this afternoon, too, so I have to get some mm-hmm. tea at lunch or something. Uh, McKinnon is a cheap option. You mentioned before, any other cheap running backs you're looking at? Well, maybe the Rex Burkhead. Like you said before, thirty five hundred. Maybe he it's a full PPR. It's the it's the right format to use him in. I think because he would be that passing alternative there. Um, I, I, I jot down. I said McKinnon, Perkins, Yeldon, and I, I'll just re- recircle on Tevin Coleman at four thousand. Just for if you just want to maybe have one of those games where they just you know key in on Freeman a bit less. Uh, you know Coleman obviously if he gets those opportunities in a case like this, uh, maybe just to spell Freeman if they do run the ball a lot. You know maybe he can get fifteen touches and that's a great profit there. 
I like Coleman if Julio Jones gets ruled out because I think they right. will have to dump the ball off and they will have to run it a lot more. So the volume uh, floor certainly goes up. Let's move over to the wide receiver position. Mike Evans is 8,900 with that matchup against the Saints. Not a big surprise. He's the most expensive wide receiver on the board. Uh, Antonio Brown is 8,700. And then you've got Julio, 8,500 this week. I imagine the ownership rate will be crazy low, even if he's active, because it's a lot of money to fork over for a player who simply might not be right, even if he's out there. Beckham's 8,000. Look, if you're going to play one of the top four receivers this week, Beckham at 8,000 seems like the way to go. Yeah, I mean, I said it before, Dallas' is secondary without Claiborne gives up a lot of big plays and after the catch, and yeah, Beckham is definitely the the, big, the best ROI of those of those top three wide receivers, De- definitely Beckham. T.Y. Hilton, 7,500, kind of interesting for me, going up against Houston, home game for him, Andrew Luck playing really well last week against the Jets, Colts maybe putting all the pieces together, so I think there's possibly something there where I would uh, give Hilton a slight bump up. Uh, those conditions in Miami we talked about probably knock Larry Fitzgerald off my list. Uh, I don't want to use Brandon Marshall with Bryce Petty getting the start. Am I, am I wrong for, for writing off Brandon Marshall? If he were like the 12th or 13th wide receiver, I'd be a lot more excited because it's a full PPR. You know, maybe maybe Petty has to rely on the veteran for, you know, just a lot of short passes and stuff like that. But I think that, as I said before, with, with um, I forget who it was, the running back, but this, I think that's just too high a floor of expectation there for him. Uh, if he were like 6,500, I'd be all over it. Go a little further down, Dez, 6,900. Why is Dez so cheap? <laughs> Just because everyone pays attention to Zeke and forget that Dez Bryant exists on the Cowboys. Yeah, I guess uh, <laughs> guess that's what it is. I, I think that's a pretty nice price yeah. on Dez. He'll be heavily owned, as, as you'd expect, but I think it makes a lot of sense. Uh, Doug Baldwin, 6,800 with Jordy Nelson. Both are in play for me this week. Golden Tate at 6,600. Good, not great. I, I just I'm worried about the Lions and the game flow. I, I can't express that enough. I just think they might have a lead, might end up having to run the ball a bit more than they typically do. Uh, yeah. How do you feel about Brandon Cooks, 6400 this week? Almost scored in, in a really bizarre yeah. manner. I mean, Sean Payton even challenged that play uh, last week. Seemed like he was more involved. 6400 seems like a very fair price for Cooks going up against the Bucks. Yeah, absolutely. Cooks being a, a forearm down away from a touchdown in that game, which is, you know, irritated the heck out of me as a, as a two league owner of him. So, um, yeah, I, I think cooks is a better value than Tate. I mean, you know, I think that the, the market's caught up to Tate and price and kind of where he should be no real bargain there anymore. And yeah, I think cooks, obviously, you know, he'll, he'll keep that involvement last week. I think he, his, this is the league point where fancy players want a player to kind of, you know, be a little bit more arrogant and aggressive and get his, get his play count up. So yeah, I think cooks at 64 is pretty good. Moncrief at 63 is in the mix. Not as cheap as I'd like, but I, I think he's got a nice little TD streak going, and Houston yeah. is nothing special. Uh, Tyrell Williams at 6,100 probably gets three or four DVR thumbs-ups. I mean, I, I think uh, I, I, like, I like what that's going to do. I, I think the, the matchup in that one has shootout written all over it unless some bizarre weather thing is happening in Carolina. Yeah, um, I mean the Carolina quarterbacks, cornerbacks have you know improved a little bit. They're still really lowly rated. You know, I, I consider. Do, do you think that maybe there's a case where Dontrell Inman from the slot makes a lot more damage because you know matching up whoever matches up against Leonard Johnson uh, in, in, in nickel formation, that, that's the guy who's going to I think really go off at this point. I mean, obviously Williams is a bit more on you know uh, guaranteed to be on the field. Uh, Sixty one hundred is a good price for him. You know, it, it's kind of a 
uh, take take it, you know, the pick your poison type of thing with Philip Rivers every week, which receiver he goes to. So, you know, it, it, it's it's a decent price for Williams, but I might be more inclined to go with Inman, who's uh, forty eight hundred. Yeah, so. Inman's pretty cheap on, on DraftKings this week. That's really tempting <laughs> yeah. as you go further down. Uh, Jameson Crowder at 5,600, maybe in play for tournaments, keeps getting yep. a good number of targets. Uh, you go even cheaper. Brandon LaFell at 5,000, good play against yeah. Cleveland. They've allowed 28 passing TDs this year. Uh, Randall Cobb's only 5,000, but I don't, I don't think I can do it. I, 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 I thought he'd have a bigger game last week because he scored early. And it just it felt like everything was shifting in a way where it was too extreme, like how much we were relying on Devontae Adams uh, to be yep. the 1A, 1B. It's like, okay, Randall Cobb is good. If his hamstring's healthy, he should produce. I, I'm not crazy about it, even at that $5,000 price tag this week. Uh, other cheap receivers, as you go further below, what about Taylor Gabriel at 4300 Regardless of whether Julio Jones is out there, with no Mohamed Sanu, Gabriel's target floor looks as stable as ever. I think for Gabriel, you you prefer to have Jones out there playing so he can actually take attention off him, get him more one-on-one coverage, that sort of thing. If Gabriel's the top receiver for the Falcons, you know, I, I don't see good things happening for him, even against the Rams who have been a weak secondary. You know, that makes him a defensive key and sometimes stuff like that. You know, the mid-range players kind of wilt in situations like that. How about uh, Ted Ginn, player fade Ted Ginn? Uh, I'm not chasing Ted Ginn. I'm sorry. I mean, <laughs> the, the volume, the target volume has been there. Kelvin Benjamin's kind of, you know, f- you know, been here and there. But if, when you just when you start to trust Ted Ginn, that's when he lets you down. I'm not doing it. Coming off a huge game, player fade Tyler Lockett at 3,700. Well, I mean, the, 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 it was obviously a running play that got him the touchdown, but obviously it's the Green Bay secondary. So. Maybe a third wide receiver flex if you can build a, a lineup of you know expensive guys around him. That's a big play guy that maybe he's finally finding something. Maybe you know Russell Wilson finally paying attention to him a bit more. Uh, you know that he's actually the one that, of those secondary wide receivers that can actually do something with a lot of uh, fantasy value, unlike a, you know Jermaine Curse. So yeah, I mean that that that's that's a you know a dice throw type of play, but I'm intrigued by it. Curse is the guy that's going to randomly score a TD this week. By the way, I I don't, I don't have enough of a need to put him into a DFS lineup. But yeah. if you're looking for the stupid, hey, I got to pick a guy up off the waiver wire and, and play him at wide receiver, and Jermaine Curse looks like the best option out there, this is the week. It's going to happen. It's going to score. <laughs> Probably. Uh, anybody else at receiver, you know, low-end guys that you're thinking about plugging in either as third options or at the flex spot? Uh, call me crazy, but Marquise Lee of the Jaguars at 37 also is kind of intriguing. Obviously, Alan Hearns, I believe, was ruled out. Uh, Lee was already kind of passing him anyway. Uh, matching up against the Vikings, obviously a pretty tough one. But as long as he avoids um, Xavier Rhodes, which I think he will, obviously I think Rhodes will probably stick on Allen Robinson just to remove that threat from anything. I think that Lee's volume is going to be pretty high. I guess like an 8-10 to 10 target game for him even if they have that because I think they'll obviously Blake Rhodes will have to throw a lot, you know, given the running back injuries and all that. So, you know, Marquise Lee's a guy I was intrigued if, you know, if he got more of an opportunity, he's getting the opportunity now. And he's actually a really polished receiver, and I really like him the rest of the way. Yeah, Lee has been quietly good for PPR formats, especially when you adjust for the quarterback situation that he has been dealing with. Uh, let's take a look now at the tight end position. Tyler Eifert leads the way. He's 6,000. I think he's going to be heavily owned, and for good reason, going up against that Brown secondary and those linebackers. You look at the uh, other options. Reed, if he goes, is 5,900. I don't think I'd play him in daily. Jimmy Graham's only 5,500 against the Packers. So I like Graham even more than Eifert. I like both, of course. Maybe you could go tight end in the flex this week if you want to mix things up a bit. And then Greg Olson, who has been struggling recently, 
Only 5,000 with the matchup against San Diego. I think he's kind of in play, too, if you're looking at those higher-end options. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the numbers that the Chargers have out against tight ends have been a little bit skewed because they haven't played all that many guys that have you know been really involved. They've given up some big plays to guys like Jacob Tammy for touchdown, you know. So I think that there's actually you know a bit of a case to play Olsen, even though the stats don't necessarily say the Chargers are a great matchup. And obviously, he kind of has to break through one game, right? I mean, the Chargers... Pass rush has been better, but maybe it's the week where Olsen does find some more, you know, room to roam with. I guess, uh, yeah, Olsen's actually kind of a dark horse when it comes to the higher end options. Besides Reed, obviously, I think all the higher end options are pretty solid this week for for the first time for tight ends in a while. Yeah, I think they're in a good place. Uh, Ladarius Green at thirty nine hundred is going to be very intriguing as well. Fleener at thirty seven hundred, probably in the mix for GPPs. Uh, any cheap tight ends you're thinking about sprinkling in? Uh, Vance McDonald against the Jets is interesting. Um, you know, obviously, don't want to bank everything on the Dwayne Allen three touchdown game meaning everything, but you know they've been, they've been weak against tight ends for much of the year that have actually had a place. And Colin Kaepernick with Vance McDonald has gotten them more involved. That's that's what I'm really intrigued by. Uh, I, I forgot if you mentioned Antonio Gates at 3800. That's a pretty good one I would chase because the Panthers are really really bad against the position. Uh, depending on which Chargers you want to play this week, which one you rotate in depending on the wide receivers there. Lance Kendricks is someone interesting at 2,800 uh, against the Falcons, who, you know, secondary has been in shambles as well. <sighs> Do you want to go with Jared Cook? I mean... No. <laughs> no. 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 Kendricks, yes, but Cook's... Or Jared Cook, no. <laughs> Can't do it. Er- er- Earl Thomas' absence. I mean, more so the strong safety that, that covers them, but maybe if he finds a seam somewhere. I think it's more likely <laughs> that Jordy finds a seam or something like that than, than Cook. But, hey, I mean, maybe... I, stranger stranger things have happened. I like the Vance McDonald call, though, too, uh, beyond the, the Jets factor, really. I, I, when Kaepernick plays and throws the ball well, McDonald is often heavily targeted uh, from Cap. So uh, looking at the defenses, the Vikings are the most expensive. I don't hate the idea of just paying up for them at 3900 going up against Blake Bortles and company. Do you trust the Lions yeah. defense enough in their current state they have improved over the course of the season. Do you throw them out there against Matt Barkley as the Lions are at home this week? Yeah, I think they're a decent play. Um, you know, they've gotten some great, great secondary work, and Terrell Austin's done a good job. He's going to be a head coaching candidate next year, I think. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that, that's a solid one to pay up for. I mean, you know, I'm not usually one to pay up for defense, uh, but obviously, you know, that, that's that's one where I think Matt Barkley can Matt Barkley can be forced into a lot of mistakes. So I I, I don't agree with that one. Let's uh, t- let's take a look at the bottom end defenses quickly, and uh, you go to like, phew, man, maybe Carolina's been too bad. I can't do it with Carolina. I, 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 it's uh-huh. not it's not going to happen. The Colts maybe against Brock Osweiler. I mean, is there yeah. is there is there a cheap defense that you feel good about? Uh, Washington against Carson Wentz, even though they're on the road. I think that Wentz obviously, you know, it's a case where he's kind of been skittish. Uh, you know, with, with with protecting the ball and stuff. I think maybe Washington's got a good pass rush. They can take advantage of that, maybe. You know, Niners against the Jets, I'll say it again, with that, that cross-country chip with Bryce Petty. Um, you know, improved pass defense. Maybe they give up the points, but they get a big play somehow on a return or something. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't want to say Jaguars against Sam Bradford, but I'm saying the Jaguars against Sam Bradford is has crossed my mind. Oh, it's... It- it's at least it's at least a consideration given the current state of the Jags offense. Thank you, Blake Bortles. All right, Tim, as we get ready to sign off, we've got to ask you what's in the fridge for this weekend. I know it's another holiday party weekend for you, so what's on tap? Um, I actually don't have anything on tap right now. I'm going to I'm going to try to see if I can find some some good beers at the distributor by me. I'm looking for 
Um, you know, well, obviously, you know, Sam Adams Old Fezziwig is a good one from the holiday pack that I like. You know, the nice little gingerbread tasting beer there. You guys can find that at just about any supermarket. So, you know, it's not one of these ones that we talk about that's only on spot, you know, where we live. But, um, you know, Ale Smith, Yule Smith is one I'll be looking for at some point. Uh, you know, Christmassy beers, I think, are get. They don't get as much love as, you know, the pumpkin beers, but I think most Christmas beers are usually better than pumpkin beers, so I'll definitely be looking for, for some of those, like, Christmas spice type of stuff. What about you? Yeah, get the, the Bell's Christmas Ale. It's pretty good if you can nice. track that down. I'd, I'd give that a shot if uh, you have it in your area. Uh, looking at – I was going to have that convenient distraction stuff last week. I, I didn't yeah. bring it home. I forgot. So I ended up picking up um, some uh, Hop Happy from Milwaukee Brewing Company. It was a pretty good IPA, but – I don't know if I'd choose it over the other IPAs readily available. I had to make a gas station beer run in desperation before they stopped uh, selling beer in the store at nine o'clock here. It's because uh, the, the tavern league kind of like runs the state. They want you mm-hmm. to go out to the bar and drink. So uh, yeah, like last minute before nine o'clock, I had to run in and, and you know Milwaukee Brewing Company's a decent local brewer near Milwaukee and everything, but mm-hmm. uh, you know limited selection. I even grabbed a, a twelver of. Uh, the PBR tall boys to throw in my dad's fridge because he doesn't appreciate the craft the same way that I do. So mm. I, I threw something in there that he actually, you know, is, is cool with. And I don't know. Well, those will probably yeah. still be there for the next few visits, and I'm sure I'll <laughs> find my way into one of those. And I'm not sure how I'm gonna, how I feel about that. No, my my dad's more of an old school guy too. He's all Schaefer and you know just just regular Bud. Um, just beer. He, he, <laughs> he he drinks like the Bud Select fifty five to watch his sugar and stuff now, but yeah, he's like, why do you, you know? He, he's he's perplexed when I bring these like ridiculous things home. It's uh, it's it's fun to watch his reactions though. It's great. Yeah, I I, I told my dad after I had a, I had a couple of the hop happies. I'm like, hey, bring me one of them hipster tall boys from the fridge. He offered to bring me a drink. <laughs> he comes back with another one of the hop happies. I'm like, you clearly did not understand what I was referring to. <laughs> In this case, but thank you for bringing me the better of the two beers. I appreciate that. Uh, I'm going to try to get some brandy barrel age stuff from Nebraska. I just saw one of the local liquor stores here tweeting about that last night. This barrel age stuff is going crazy right now. There's so much yep. more of it now than there was a few years ago. Where you know I got shut out on Goose Island this year uh, as far as the Bourbon County Stout goes. I've been able to find any bottles, yeah. and I'm sure it's all long gone by now. I mean, let's. Unless somebody has a case tucked in the corner of their invent, like their stock room, and they they just forgot to put it out, you're not going to find a bottle uh, unless someone's like reselling it or something like that. So I'm looking to try some of the new, the newer barrel age stuff that's out there, things that haven't been on the market for a long time, or just the things that don't have the same level of demand that the Goose Island does. Yeah, I usually wait for to get last year's Bourbon County most of the time. I've found that to actually work successfully. It requires patience, obviously, but definitely easier to get that. And yeah, I mean, I think this is the next IPA trend. You know, the, the oak barreling and stuff like that is like it's the next huge thing at this point. So that's where I'm headed. I'm headed to the store to uh, pick nice. that up. It's yeah, from I think it's from Nebraska Brewing Company is what they, they yep. call it. It's uh, Revive, I think is the name of it, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, no, I revive kind of, something else. Dang it. I can't all these names, man. I can't keep these names straight. <laughs> Good market, man. I, I have trouble keeping up these days too. All right. Well, have a great weekend, everyone. Good luck in week fourteen. Nick and I are back with you on Monday.
The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.